I think success looks like women who feel empowered, who feel like their work really does matter. Even if that means today they loaded the dishwasher and they kept their children alive by feeding them. Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, image Him to the world through your work, and leverage your potential for His glory. And if these conversations are impacting your life and work in God-honoring ways, please consider becoming a Women in Work partner at womenwork.net slash donate. We'd also be honored for you to purchase our new book, Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work. You can find that link on our website or in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show today, guys. We are so excited to have uh, our guest today with us, Mary Wiley. Um, she is a longtime friend of mine, actually a very longtime friend of Women in Work. And we have so much to talk about today. So Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, before we jump into the conversation, let me uh, just let our guests know a little bit about who you are. So Mary Wiley, she is the author of the Bible study, Everyday Theology. She serves as the associate publisher for B&H Publishing Group. She holds a BA in Christian Studies and English from the University of Mobile and an MA in Theological Studies from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. She and her husband, John, have three adorable kids and they live in the Nashville area. So, yay, we're so excited about this yay. episode. We Honestly, yes. we've had your name on the list to come on for like since the beginning of the Women at Work yes. podcast, but I feel like this timing is the right time. So, so glad you're here. Yes. So glad yeah. to be here. The Lord has uh, has important timing, I think, for this. So this is actually a really special season um, of the Women in Work podcast. As many of you know who follow us on uh, the socials or uh, are subscribers to our newsletter, you know that um, this June, June 13th of 2023, in fact, we have our very first book coming out. It's called Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work. And Mary at B&H Publishing, through her job, she is our um, editor. And so this is a really special episode, but also a special season. As throughout the, this whole season, we're going to be interviewing um, each contributing author to the book. So we have 10 chapters. We have uh, 10 authors coming on. We're starting our first, uh, this very first episode with uh, Mary, our editor. And then we're closing this episode with um, I'm sorry, we're closing this season with a pastor. So you're going to want to hear that as well. Um, but I will say this season is a little different, Missy, in that... I know. <laughs> in that um, we just, for scheduling sake and all of that, we decided that I would just um, interview the authors and we would... In fact, Missy is an author. So she, I will be interviewing Missy throughout this season. But most of these author interviews are going to be conducted just by myself. Um, but this first episode and the last episode, don't worry, folks, Missy's coming back. Um, and so <laughs> anyway, we're happy that all three of us are here today. And um, again, Mary, glad to have you on. So, well, let's discuss first how uh, you guys even got connected. I mean, yeah. I know I've seen Mary teach. The first time I actually saw you teach, Mary, <laughs> this is special. You were good and pregnant. It was a pre-conference yeah. and you were walking these women through the entire Bible. And I was like, I think I just saw my hero. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. I remember it well. I remember it well. The spirit gives uh, strength where strength is needed. I did realize about three hours in, I was like, this may not have been my best. Yes. Wow. Girl, at one point during this thing, Mary was like, hey, like I need to go to the bathroom. So can I take a break? (laughs) Yeah. That was very brave, Mary. Very brave of you to, to do that. She killed it. It was wow. it was wonderful. It was wonderful. You're sweet. Well, so how did you guys get connected? Gosh, Mary, when did we not yeah. know each other? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, do you want the second or third grade uh, version? <laughs> so Courtney and I grew up at First Baptist Church, Tallahassee, Alabama. So I feel like I've always known Courtney. Courtney's mom was my second grade teacher. Um, I've Courtney loved that. and some of her friends were were the girls I looked up to when I Aww. was moving into youth group. Courtney was a majorette. I wanted to be That's a right. majorette. It's really <laughs> cool at Tallahassee to be a majorette. Yeah, yes, it is. So. Very cool. It's still cool, actually. It is. <laughs> Not very many places is it cool anymore, but Tallahassee, <laughs> Alabama, you're like top of the food chain. Um, Good to know. Yeah. yeah I, we moved over to First Baptist when I was in the fifth grade. And I'm a few years ahead of you, so I'm not sure how old how old you would have been then. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so yes. yeah, so grateful um, that the Lord. Isn't it so? It's just sweet providence that you know we got to grow up together, and then um, now we're still partnering together to, yeah. to serve Him. So I love I love that the Lord has done that. And then Thank your you. mom uh, was actually my teacher in high school. She taught yeah. what geometry. It was All some math. math class, yep. yeah. So that anyway, is so great. <laughs> hooray for moms that are teachers out there. Right. All right. Well, Mary, let's get to our rapid fire questions, shall we? Yeah. All right. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I wanted to be a teacher because did I you? had a mom who was a teacher and teachers that I loved. However, I thought that as a kid, I could like choose a different vocation for every day, which is kind of how I still live my life, if we're being honest. <laughs> and so I also wanted to like be a writer and I wanted to be a veterinarian and do ballet on the side, you know, in my vast amount yes. of free time. Yes. Yes. That would be an interesting life. Monday, Isn't I'm a it? doctor. Tuesday, I'm a veterinarian. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Thursday, I'm an astronaut. Like, this is just like, we just do this. Yeah, the scheduling <laughs> for like going to the moon might get a little complicated. <laughs> it might but. be tough. Yes, yes, yes. We got to postpone surgery, That's right? That's right. Okay. What was your very first job, Mary? Uh, I made soap. So I babysat oh. for a family who had a soap business, and I would help okay. as I babysat. Well, then. Okay. That I is a first. That. I did not know that. <laughs> that is a first. Hmm. All right. So, Mary, looking forward to your 80s, what do you hope yeah. to be doing then? Man, I uh, feel a calling from the Lord to just leave a legacy of literature. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know the details of exactly what that looks like. But I, I think I'm doing that in my work currently as I get to help authors walk through the process of releasing things into the world. I just, I love the Bible and I love the moment when I see people's lights turn on, when they get it, mm-hmm. when they begin mm-hmm. to love the Bible too, when they see it as alive and active and moving and when it transforms transforms their heart. And so my goal is just like, I want to do more of that. If I could write on every book of the Bible between now and when I die, I would die a very, very happy person. <laughs> oh, I love That's that. awesome. 
So, well, tell us a little bit about you personally. Yeah. Like, where did you grow up? Well, I, we heard about where you grew up and yeah. who some of your teachers were, but uh, where have you lived most of your adult life? And tell us how you came to faith. Yeah, I, uh, so I grew up in a very small town in Alabama. And so um, just a really, really sweet church that loved me well, pointed me to Jesus. I mean, they are so many of the giants on whose shoulder I stand. Um, Mm. I am who I am because of the way I was led. And in many cases, that started very early. Um, I came to faith around the age of 12. Uh, When I was eight years old, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and given about Mm. six months. And so I I grew up really fast as a child um, because I had to figure out what that meant. And so I asked a lot of questions. Um, I was a very inquisitive kid. I was the kid that like walked in with my Bible open to my pastor's office and was was like, can you explain Romans 13? It seems (laughs) like this is a little confusing. And he's like, can you come back in like two weeks? Uh, I was like, no, I need to know now. Um, And so just was really supported in that way. Uh, My dad and my pastor were best friends, which gave me free Mm -hmm. reign to ask my questions because my pastor would be sitting on my back porch very often. Right. And so um, in the process of, I also was a very stubborn child, a very headstrong child. My mother has informed me that she has, uh, what is it? The strong-willed child, the book. And it's like highlighted, <laughs> having trouble with, with my girl. And she was like, I have a book. It was very helpful. And so um, I wanted to go to the cancer center with my dad every chance I could, much to my mother's disdain. And so I just, I saw really sick people. And so my dad really wisely explained uh, the gospel to me through the lens of seeing suffering people and just kind of said like, Hey, sin is something that there is no cure for. Like we hope that Mm. going to the doctor is going to do something for this disease. And yet ultimately sin does lead to death every time. And the only remedy is Christ. And so um, came to know the Lord around 12, very quickly felt a call to ministry afterwards and was so afraid that that meant I had to live in the middle of Africa that I told no one. I was at really? GA camp and like my friends, I had kind of told them. And then on the way home, they're trying to like tell our leader. And I was like, no, 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 no. Mm. Um, because I just, I thought that was the only way you could serve God as a female. It was the only way I had seen was missionary work or, um, being the pastor's wife. And I felt like that was like shaky. Like, how do you guarantee that you're going to find someone who wants to be a pastor? So I thought the only viable option was missions. Uh, and so that really informed the way that I led the rest of my life. And I think Mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit about that as we go, but live in Nashville, Tennessee now, or right outside of Nashville in a little town called Lebanon. We've been here for eight, eight or nine years. Uh, I've lived kind of all around Nashville, but moved out here because a church needed a part-time interim children's minister. And we all know what interim means, right? (laughs) They're like, come help us for just a few months. Well, it's been eight years. We're still here. Um, I'm not serving in that role anymore. Four years later, I had had two children and was like, there's a lot of kids ministry I need to be doing like in my house. Um, And also have a full-time job. So I'm, are are you looking? I just need to know if you're looking. It seems like you're not. So um, just they loved us so well. So we brought home our little boy, Caleb. I was 
four and a half months pregnant, uh, we found out that we would bring him home on a Saturday. We had been foster wow. parents uh, and got a oh, got no. a phone call, and they were like, "You have ten minutes to decide. This is probably an adoption an adoption situation." Wow. And so we picked him up on a Tuesday and that Sunday, y'all, we had just like let our church know, hey, this might happen. At the time I owned a glider and was very c- concerned because like I had a book <laughs> about being a parent, but I had not read the book. And I was like, I don't know. People think we're crazy. What are we doing? But this church just was Jesus's hands and feet to us and had to like people had to follow us home because they had brought so many things for us to oh, use wow. and to borrow. Wow. A family washed our clothes for like months. I'm talking Amazing. baby spit up, maternity clothes, washed our clothes, folded them, would pick them Whoa. up on Friday, bring them back to me Saturday afternoon, folded, ready to go. And I was like, we're never leaving. Like you've Whoa. you've served us so Bless well. Yes. Uh, you can't get rid of us. Even if you thought yes. it was just an interim thing, like we're here. Wow. Um, and so we've we've loved our time. We've been here, yeah, eight years. And so uh, happy to be here and hope to stay a long time. That's great. Wow. That's so good. Well, um, you went to the University of Mobile. I am also an alumna there. Um, I will tell you, though, going back to when you were talking about when you were young and you were curious, I do remember I would come home in the summers. Mary was in the youth group, and I like interned a couple of summers uh, for the mm-hmm. youth help lead and that kind of thing. And um, I remember Mary, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, um, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. <laughs> there was, uh, the it was a green book. I'm pretty sure you had the green one. I, Mary was like walking around youth group carrying this Systematic Theology book. Oh. And I was like, wow, Mary's on top of it. <laughs> Like, it so like so legit, you have church. loved theology. Uh, Woody, it was Woody. It's Woody Turner. Yeah, his name yeah. I sent him a video of it recently because he was like, hey, I have your study. We're doing it with our uh, teens. And so I sent him a video. I was like, well, I used your copy of Systematic Theology. <laughs> I remember it. I was like, this girl is serious. She's for real. I came back and was like, I read it from cover to cover. And he's like, that is not how you read reference books, but okay. (laughs) All right. So you majored in uh, their religious studies there. It's a Christian Mm -hmm. school um, and English as well. And so you mentioned that you did have a specific call to ministry in high school. Um, but so when you were in college and you were really trying to figure out, okay, did you think really you were going to be a missionary or what, what were you thinking? Okay. I'm going to graduate from college. What am I going to do? What were your thoughts at the time? Well, first of all, my mom is very practical and she was like, you have to get at least one degree that you can live off of. Smart. And so <laughs> when I entered college, I entered as a nursing major, knowing oh. that I almost pass out every time I give blood, um, <laughs> which I knew that was just not going to stick, but it was a viable path. And I thought like missions, this could work. That lasted about six weeks. Um, I met with one professor yeah. and they were showing me some of their equipment. I was like, nope, I'm not going to be able to do this. My body is not going to allow me to do this because I'm going to, I'm going to pass out. Like this is not, yeah, not going to go well. So um, I had had a teacher, I had had multiple English teachers throughout high school and junior high, just kind of say like, you have a, a gift for writing and you should use it. Uh, but I didn't actually know. I mean, we, you know, of course we look at like Beth Moore. She's kind of the, the trailblazer to say, maybe I can use these gifts 
to mm-hmm. serve the Lord. And so um, I had done a study or two in high school and had thought like, maybe I can do that at some point to like help people. Maybe I can write for my church. Um, but I really didn't think it could be vocational ministry. I thought it would be something on the side. And so in many ways, English and religious studies was like, I just did that because I liked it. And I wanted to enjoy college. I love to learn. I'm going to be a student my whole life. I took the GRE this week, about to be with Missy up in at Southeastern. Ooh, uh, congrats. So, uh, but I just honestly was like, this is what I like to do and what I feel like I'm good at. Hopefully God can use it. And so I did not know. I did start with an education uh, minor so that I could teach. Um, and while observing a class at actually my mom's school, I had a terrible car accident that should have taken my life. And basically at that point, I looked at my mom and was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I don't like education. I don't want to teach. I don't enjoy these classes. So we're just going to see where the Lord takes us. I picked up like some art classes, which my mom was like, oh, for sure. You're going to be poor now for sure. Like you're (laughs) not going to have food to eat. Um, but I just kind of, I had always said as silly as this is like, I was like, I want to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches if that's the need. And I want to fall asleep every day exhausted because I've poured it all out on the field for the gospel. Um, And in many ways, that has been the case in my life. I think about years of serving in camps ministry when literally you're like walking to the next thing with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in your hand, praying that the Lord blesses Mm. it somehow to your body so that you can stay up until 2 a.m. And so God really did kind of fulfill that very silly desire in my heart. But college for me, it was like, this is what I just see the Lord doing. I have no idea what He's going to do. And that's really been my story throughout my career is like just taking the next step of like, it looks like this is what God is doing. I don't know how He's going to work it out, but I'm just going to have to trust. Yeah. That's so great. Well, you currently are at Lifeway. And so you've been there at Lifeway B&H for a long time, but you've played several different roles. Can you tell us a little bit about all of the different things that you did since you've been there? Yeah. So I started in kids ministry, uh, which is funny because I always loved, like I always wanted to serve in women's ministry and thought that women are scary. Like I need to stay with the little <laughs> to think that I'm cool. So I started serving with Center Kid Camps while I was in college, started directing for them. And then just really, again, the Lord just really aligned the stars for me. Um, I came in as an intern in their office and a guy Mm. that was on the team was exiting around the same time to go be a full-time missionary in Spain. And someone needed to pick up that work. And so when someone needed to pick up that work, it landed on my desk and I kept doing that work and kept doing that work. And they were like, hey, looks like you like this and could maybe do this. Do you want to do it full time? And so it was just taking the next step. I continued to direct camp because I love on the ground ministry. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I was working during the office during the year and then going to camp, leading a team, you know, connecting with adults. Uh, We would see you know, between, you know, a thousand or so kids a week and uh, getting to know them, serving them well. And then the next group would come in the next week. And it really was like a pressure cooker for learning leadership, for learning ministry, for learning conflict resolution, because y'all, sometimes people just come in and they've had a really hard day and their real math (laughs) is raining and they think you can change it. 
And you're supposed to be willing <laughs> yes. to like take that. And and so I just everything I know about leadership came from camps ministry. I had amazing bosses who let me walk alongside them as they taught leadership, as they made decisions. Um but as that time continued, a couple of roles came open on curriculum teams. I had been writing uh, Bible study and uh, track time and mm, skills. And, right. and my boss just said, hey, I, I really think the Lord may be moving you in this direction. Like they kind of said, you don't need to go to camp this summer. You need to be in the office. We need you. And that had really like made me sad. My boss knew he's like, she, she's, she's going to be sad if we don't. Let her <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it just seemed to be the right time. My boss really encouraged me to move into a new role and so I played a couple of different roles on curriculum teams at Lifeway and Kids with the Gospel Project as we launched that, mm-hmm. um, which was just such a such a joy, such an honor to get to work on something that literally like a million kids are using every Sunday. I mean, what it's a crazy gift. Great. Um, with so BBS great. and a couple of other things that just um, I really enjoyed doing. However, uh, as my time went on, I felt like, man, I've really run out of ideas. Like I'm, hmm. I don't have a lot. I was writing three sets of curriculum. So three hours of curriculum for every week of instruction. So more than Gosh. 150 hours of written curriculum per year. And I just was out of ways to use construction paper and post-it notes. Yes, and I right. kind of got to the point where I was like, I, I need a new challenge. And I'm someone that gets a little itchy every couple of years where it's like, I... Mm-hmm feel like I've somewhat mastered this. I need something new to work on. And mm-hmm. the Lord just aligned the timing and I moved to marketing of all things, which I had like, y'all, nice things had not come out of my mouth about marketing from time to time. <laughs> and so it was definitely a humbling experience because there's like a notoriety that comes with telling a group of people, I'm an editor. Feels a little important. When you say I'm a marketer, they're like, oh, you like tell lies for a living is really what a lot of people believe oh, wow. that marketing is. Now, they're not going to say that to you, but you can kind of read it all over their face. Mm-hmm. When, um, so when I moved, I really had to grapple with, like, what is this work that I'm doing? And so what I found to be the heart of marketing is ministry. It is service. It's mm-hmm. telling the truth about something so that someone who needs it can know where to find it. And so I really had to embrace that and really see like, God, how are you going to use my gifts on this side of the world, this side of the work? Um, And God was so kind to do that. I got to lean in a lot with editorial work as well. And marketing, there's so much writing. It is ultimately communication. And so learned a ton and um, moved in a couple of different roles, was leading the marketing team at B&H and loved doing that. I love the process of development, of like bringing new people on a team, helping them understand the ropes and challenging them. Um, But the Lord just had made it really clear, like you need to be in your, like your sweet spot is content. So uh, about two years ago, I guess, I moved over to lead the kids and trade acquisitions teams. And so uh, do some writing, some editing, some uh, leading of the team, some acquisitions of 
authors. And so my heart uh, that loves change and loves to be doing something new all the time, uh, the glory of publishing is that no two days are the same. Uh, And sometimes you get a phone call at 8 a.m. and it changes the entire trajectory of your day. And so um, love, love, love my work that I get to do with B&H. And they've been so kind to support me in additional writing and and speaking and things like that too. And really said like, we see a gift in you and we want you to use that. So let us help support you, uh, which has just been really, really uh, a gift. I mean, it sounds like the Lord just followed you from the beginning at camp all the way through to where you are currently. And it's just so, so beautiful to see that like that through line of his faithfulness. And I think it's encouraging even for our um, listeners because sometimes you just say yes to a certain job Mm -hmm. because it sounds like this is fun or this is what I have access to today without even realizing that the Lord is grooming you really, right? For the thing that he actually ultimately may be using you for. So it's really sweet, really beautiful to to hear. It's been a great journey. It really has. So how many, as, uh, tell me your title one more time at B&H right now. Yeah. So I'm the associate publisher at B&H. All right. Tell me a little bit about what a day-to-day, a day in the life looks like. And then how yeah. many books and authors are you working with like in a given year? And how much time is spent on like yeah. one book? Man, Courtney, so many different options for answers because some <laughs> books come in and you spend a couple of days with them. And, you know, I got a book from a professor recently who literally just writes all day in his free time and uh, his non-instructional time. Wow. And it was like, I was like, I could send that. I mean, I'm going to give you some notes to make this stronger, but I could send this to print and we would be fine. Wow. Um, wow. And so there is a broad difference between someone who's never written before and someone who writes all the time. <laughs> interesting. Uh, when it comes to how much time it really takes okay. to edit it well. But as a as a team, uh, my team handles a hun- about 100 books per year. Okay. And so that's across, what, six or seven of us. And uh, yeah, so... We, uh, we walk with our authors from start to finish. And so some of my work is still landing in the marketing world, which is fun. I just got off a call earlier where we were talking to a potential new author and I was able to speak to both sides, both the editorial and the marketing, uh, because our teams work very closely. And we say often mm-hmm. uh, publishing is an interdisciplinary work. So you do Mm -hmm. have to know something about marketing to edit well, Hmm. because there are times where you're speaking a language that the audience who needs that book doesn't speak. And you got you you, to love your reader is to speak their language. So true. And so that's the bulk of my work is helping authors see who that audience is and really speaking to them. I do a lot of editorial work on Mondays and Fridays and a lot of meetings uh, the rest of the week, a lot of strategy the rest of the week, determining where we're going from here. But yeah, no day is the same. We spend a lot of time at events. Uh, We spend a lot of time at seminaries, uh, events, and meeting with professors, and things of that nature. So the work is really broad, um, again, which is what I really love, because it allows some flexibility. If you like 
don't want to edit this book on today, well, you just flip it to next week because there is plenty to do today. Something else you can be yes. doing. <laughs> I'm thankful for never sitting around uh, because I don't I don't sit well. It sounds very, very interesting what you do. I mean, and you just hear publisher and people don't really have a vision for what that could be. Well, okay. What makes a good trade book? So if a person is listening and they're mm-hmm. an aspiring writer, Uh, When they think through what they want to write, how narrow should their topic be? How broad should it be? Should they try to be one of those people who tackle a million things? Or should you say, no, just be, you know, stay in your lane? That's a great question. So um, this is also, I mean, everything in publishing is kind of a case by case scenario, which drives some people mad. I kind of love it. Uh, But in most cases, what is the best book is clarity of thought and beauty of writing. And so the best marketer in the world can't sell a bad book. Mm. Now, they might sell it for a little while before a word gets out that it's not a very good book. But the goal of a good book is that you market it well in the beginning And then the marketing team kind of puts their foot, takes their foot off the gas. And what begins to happen is people who have read the book begin to recommend it. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes a best-selling book. Best-selling books are not because a marketing team spent a whole bunch of money. Some of the ones that have sold the best in the last year, both for us and for others, uh, have been Mm -hmm. ones they have not spent much money on when it comes to marketing. Mm. But the writing is so compelling. And the author has sat with the topic for so long that they are actually an expert. So what I see as a real problem in publishing is the rate at which people write. It is very difficult to hear something new from the Lord every year. True. If you do, you're probably <laughs> living your life. Enough, yeah. You're living your life to write your next book, which is not mm. a healthy life. Interesting. Uh, and good right. books come from people who are healthy and who are in the word and who are following the spirit. And so the best ideas have really ruminated over time. It's the best books are things people have been thinking about for decades. And they're really sharp on what they think about it. And they can say it with such clarity that it communicates well to a reader. The books Mm. that don't do well are the ones that are written really quickly. And that in many cases, the author is working out what they believe as they write. Um, Mm -hmm. Our publisher, my, my boss, often says we should help authors be comfortable with what they think is a boring book. Because it is at the point where you think the subject is boring that you are at the point of being an expert, that you can pass that information along to someone who hasn't, who, who doesn't have any operating idea of what that actually means. So great mm. books are clear and great books compel readers to do something. I like that. I like that. Okay. Mm. So you yeah. work, your team works with about 100 books a year, 100 authors, I assume. All right, so give us kind of the the backstory of are some authors easier to work with than others? And like, what type of author do you love working with? Yeah, well, there are always going to be easier people to work with and more difficult people to work with in any vocation, right? Like you're going to really be great friends with a handful of people and then a handful of people, you're going to have a harder time getting on the same page. 
Um, that's going to be true whether you uh, host at a restaurant, whether you work in education, whether you work on a hall with other teachers. It's certainly true in publishing. Now, we, I feel like, have just been really blessed in the last eight to 10 years. Uh, the Lord has really given us discernment. We've been praying for discernment. Um, mm -hmm. And I can honestly say that I can count the number of times where I've had unfortunate experiences on like one hand. Wow. And we mm. always have to remember too, we are stewarding someone's life message in most yes. cases alongside them. It's an incredibly stressful time. Things can go wrong in the publishing process. For instance, when COVID happened, supply chain problems occurred and we couldn't find paper. Yeah. And so we're calling printers yeah. and they're like, well, we got ink but we don't have anything to print these books on. <laughs> and so we're pushing, you know, 20% of the books that we published that year back. And that can be a hard conversation when someone has really staked their life on like, this book is releasing in the fall. And then I call and I'm like, I love you so much, but it's releasing in the spring because there's no paper. Um, right. And that's wow. a hard message to hear. And yet I, the Lord has just been really kind to give us people who are understanding, who yeah, it's okay to be disappointed. Like, I want to give you the space to be disappointed. Uh, but they have not been ugly to us or made it challenging. And so it's, you know, we love our partners. We love the authors we get to work with. We select authors because we see Christ-like character. We really believe that character matters and that you may be the best book writer in the world. But if your life doesn't preach Christ, then we yes. aren't the right partner. Um, that doesn't mean the book doesn't need to exist. It doesn't mean it won't be helpful, but it just means that we're probably not going to be the one uh, jumping in the rink for that. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love, I, I view those I get to edit as friends. Um, and it's just such a joy to help people make their ideas more clear, make their mm -hmm. writing more beautiful so that readers can be loved well, can be served well. Yeah, no, that's great. Wow. Okay, Mary, how do you feel like you image God in your work as a publisher? Yeah, I love this question because I love words. Uh, and I think it's so special <laughs> yes. that God spoke out creation, right? He could have done mm, it any right. other way. He could have used his hands. He didn't. He used his voice and he spoke words. He spoke and there was light and there was life. Um he calls his son his word. Like words matter. Yes. I tell my sweet little six and seven-year-old all the time when they're yelling at each other, words matter. Words carry meaning. Mm -hmm. And you may say something you don't mean, but these words are heavy and words have weight. And so uh, being able to shape someone's words uh, is such an honor, but also feels like a really heavy responsibility to me because oh, yeah. we are imaging God in the way that he has crafted his world in the way that mm -hmm. he has chosen to reveal himself in both the word of scripture and his son, the word, uh, the word that yes. he revealed himself to us through a book. Uh, it's right. crazy to me. I'm like, God, this yes. is my love language. Thank you for speaking it. Um, <laughs> right. He's given, you know, he's given us this book of all of these different types of literature so that we might know him. And so I believe that books change lives. Books have changed lives for me. 
Um, I have, Mm -hmm. I, I really believe we say it a lot on our team that every Christian comes with a bibliography of like where they've been, what books they've read, what things have really shaped them. Um, And we get the honor and the responsibility of shaping what's available in the market to be put on those bibliographies well. It's amazing. Hmm. I love that. All right. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode that, uh, you know, our book is being published by you all, you are our Mm -hmm. editor. Um, So our team has a backstory for how this came about, um, but I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts and perspective on how the book came to be. I love it. Well, <laughs> uh, I think behind closed doors, uh, we are always talking about what does the church need? What do people who follow Christ really need in this day and age? And what do women need? Um, and that is a very important conversation for me and one of my coworkers. We're always asking, what do the women in our church need? What do the women brought more broadly need? Um, and over and over again, it was becoming more and more clear that this conversation around vocation needed to happen, not just broadly, but specifically with women. So similarly, Courtney, mm-hmm. um, Courtney was... Uh, you and I had conversations about women and work long before women and work was a thing. Right. And um, just it's the same need, right? We saw, you saw like, hey, I think this is a need. And I was able to say, yeah, it definitely is. We need theological education around vocation. I mean, even in my local church, um, when I had Nora Kate, and I, again, my local church is like, they are my people. But when I had Nora Kate, two days later, someone brought us a meal and walked into a room in our house and was like, this is a perfect homeschooling room. And the expectation was, you have a child now, you actually have two of them, two tiny little babies, and you're going to homeschool them. And so it was shocking to them for me to say, well, I actually plan to return to work. Like, I love work. Um, and I, I think it's a way that I get to image God that I, I'm called to work. And so I'm going to let someone else who's like called to love on tiny babies, love my babies while I, I work. Um, and it was, it really was very shocking to them. Now mm. that is not, uh, uh, the culture today. There are a lot of us that work, but I think that's pretty normal in a lot of churches that, that really there is an either or instead of an and. Right. Yeah. You either have a church that's like, we all stay home or we all work, Um, not a Mm. lot in between. And so this conversation, what does it look like for vocation, no matter if that is in the home or in the workplace, what does it look like to really see that as kingdom work, that God is uh, making order out of chaos in your home, that you are imaging him in the way that you are doing that in the work you're doing with your children, or that if you're a publisher or you're a doctor, you're imaging God in the way that he is loving his creation through your work. Um, And so for me, I thought this was a very important book. And so I just brought it up to my boss once and was like, hey, here's what I think we should do. I know, I know these people. I feel like I probably shouldn't be the one to recommend this book because I know them really well, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, uh, and Sarah just said, I, I think this is a book we need. And I think we're the right, we're the right partner for this book. And yeah, the rest mm. is, is history. That's right. Yeah. Well, from our perspective, so, you know, Women in Work began, we, I started chatting with you probably in what, 2017, like, I think this this is what I'm wrestling with. This is what I'm feeling as a woman who loves the Lord. Um, 
And I wonder, are other people feeling this? And I went to you because here you are, you know, I respected your work, what you were doing um, in your actual day-to-day job. But, you know, I also know your heart and that you are, Mm -hmm. uh, love your family and love your kids and are an amazing mom. And I thought, you know, are you feeling this too, right? So those initial conversations were really so, so huge in my mind, Mary, to even begin to have the courage and the confidence to say, okay, this is a need. This is a, an actual need for women. And um, so I'm so grateful for you in 2017 talking about that. Um, and then as the organization continued to grow and, you know, we're continuing, my whole team, we're having all these conversations. Um And just little by little, you know how things are. I mean, you just follow the Lord one little step at a time. You just take that next step, even the start of this podcast. It's like, okay, here's an idea. Should we do this? And um, so I just love that every little step of the way, the Lord's been so faithful. And somewhere along the way, it was, you know, we're in these team meetings. We're brainstorming, like, how can we serve these women and that kind of thing. Um, Someone someone else said on our team, I really feel like we need to be um, publishing something. We need a piece to give women that they can put in their hand to to take with them um, that the Lord might use. And so that just became a prayer request. Like, God, if this is something you want, um, we're willing to do it. We would love to do it. It would be an honor. And, um, and so thank God, here we are. And I'm so excited for our listeners um, to be able to think through, you know, we have all these different chapters that really cover a lot of different aspects of women in their work. Um, And our authors, our contributing authors are so qualified to speak on each subject, Um, beautifully written chapters. Um, I'm so proud of the work. Um, So we're so grateful for B&H. We think you guys are the perfect partner for this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But as I'm just curious, you know, I read every line. You read every line. Was there a certain part that you, Mary, just personally thought, oh my goodness, I really, really love this, this part of the book? Well, I found that to be the case often. Um, There are just some really beautiful chapters, some really beautiful writing. I love Elise Fitzpatrick's chapter on just really seeing work in the garden um, and connecting that to the Great Commission as well. Uh, Hannah Anderson is just a phenomenal writer. Read anything she writes, uh, anything, because it's just going to be beautiful and well thought out and challenging. And so I just think I I loved the tone of the chapters. They weren't prescriptive and like, this is how you should always think about work. And this yeah. is how you should develop your philosophy of work. It is not a philosophy of workbook. It's a theology of workbook, which of mm. course is right up my alley where it's like, this is what <laughs> God says about work. And then you need to form what you think the spirit is developing in you is leading for you and what that work actually looks like every day. Yeah, that's definitely the heart of the book. I love that you just said that because that is definitely, it is really a call to women to say, okay, here's what the Bible says. Now, how, now you go ask the Lord. And, you know, even in the conclusion of the book, um, I had the opportunity to write the introduction and the conclusion. Of course, I was a general editor, but, um, that was kind of one of the takeaways. Now, now go get your journal, go find a spot with the Lord, and now you sit with Him and ask Him, what does He want you to do with this information? So I, I love that you yeah. mentioned that, because that's mm. definitely the heart of the book. I love it. So 
we can, we talk to women every day or we don't talk to women. Well, we talk to women every day, but we interview women (laughs) all the time and we know what they're kind of like you said, what they're hungry for. So we were excited to have uh, something tangible, like Courtney said, to put in their hands. Mm -hmm. What do you hope for as a publisher for this book? And I think success looks like women who feel empowered, Mm -hmm. who feel Mm -hmm. like their work really does matter. Even if that means today they loaded the dishwasher and they kept their children alive by feeding them. Um, (laughs) Which some days that is how it feels, right? You're like, I have (laughs) marked nothing off the to-do list. This is my life now. I mean, I looked at my laundry pal before walking in here to my office and was like, this is my life now. This is this is just going to live here forever. It's going to be okay, <laughs> but it's probably never going to be very different. Um, and I want women to see that as ministry. Like the clothes that you wash and fold for your family is ministry. Uh, the way that you talk to a coworker when you guys are out to lunch while you're uh, in a moment where you're not heads down working and you're encouraging them, that is ministry. And so I think we have this jaded view of like, Ministry can only be in vocation if you are in Christian vocation, if your work is innately Christian. Um, And that is not the picture we see in Scripture. It is the call to all Christians that they would go into the world. And often, uh, I tell my friends who work in secular organizations, who work in healthcare, I'm like, you are doing more ministry every day than I am in Christian work. Um, because you are bumping up against people who do not know Jesus over and over and over again. And that that is a beautiful calling. All right. So Mary, um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you um, as an editor and publisher, how can our audience really help support the launch of the book? I feel like there are probably kind of like some behind the scenes things that you all know that maybe the general public might not know. And so um, how can our, how can our listeners do that? Absolutely. Well, the number one way to support people that you love who are writing books is to pre-order. So there are a couple of key retailers who only order books based on demand, and they base that demand on what happens before the book releases. And so there are times where you will see that books are out of stock at retailers on launch day, and that is because there have not been enough pre-orders. And so the best way to honor this book is to go ahead and pre-order it, to get excited about it being delivered to your door on June 13th, and to tell your friends. And so, um, you know, five years ago, I would have probably said, just post about it on the internet. But we live in a world today where like the world of the influencer is fading. I read an article two weeks ago, I guess, where only 11% of Americans actually believe that influencers are telling the truth about what they're Hmm. talking about. Interesting. And so... What really makes the difference is you telling people you know, who know you, who know you've actually read the book and are actually, you know, doing something with what you learned, that they can look at your life and say, wait, it looks like you're living with more kingdom mindedness towards the work you're doing every day. And then that that reader can say, yeah, it's because of this book. And so word of mouth really is everything for books, but that pre-order four to six weeks prior is the most important time for books to succeed. Okay. What about Amazon reviews and that kind of thing? Is that how important are those? 
So once you hit about 100, um, that really begins to make a difference in search results on Amazon. And so it's really helpful for the book. You can't do that until a book has released. Um, those, Those reviews don't open until that point. But yes, read the book, especially if you purchased it from Amazon, write a review there. Uh, you'll get the little verified check, which is very valuable to Amazon to prove that like you aren't just an influencer trying to tell people a book is great that you didn't actually read. Um, and then just do an honest review, like really write what the book helped you with. Right. Um, yeah. So that others can can find it. The point of reviews is to help people who are trying to decide what they want to buy to see like, is this going to answer the problems that I feel? All right. So Mary, we mentioned um, at the beginning of the conversation about how you've written a ton of curriculum and Bible studies, but you also wrote and published your own um, Bible study called Everyday Theology. And I actually remember when you were writing this um, and I was thinking, this this woman, you have limitless capacity. It (laughs) seems how in the world are you writing this study? But uh, thank God you wrote this study. I want you to tell our listeners about it. Um, And I mean, it's pretty amazing because it's now it's in other languages as well, right? Yeah, it's it's been such an honor uh, that God would use words, uh, my words, to help other people. And so Everyday Theology was really written for my local church, that same local church that I told you guys about that I love so dearly. Um, while I was serving as the interim children's minister, um, I was getting lots of phone calls and texts from parents who were saying, my kid came home. They're asking how God can be or Jesus can be 100% God and 100% man. And I I don't know the answer. Like that math doesn't work. So I'm going to need you to answer this for me. Or my kid just asked, what happens when we die? My kid just asked how, how to explain the Trinity. And they're like, I don't even know what that word means. And so these were not people who were brand new to the church. They had been in the church their whole life, but they didn't know the vocabulary of the faith. And they didn't know how stories connected in a lot of cases. Hmm. And so I taught it three consecutive semesters at my church. And uh, then a couple of my pastor friends were like, hey, I hear that this is like working at your church. Can you give it to us? And I was like, yeah. And then my boss at Life was like, no, uh, you can't (laughs) do that contractually. So, um, yeah, I sent it to the Bible study team thinking this is like not going to happen I just need them to say no so I can send it to my friends. Um, And then the Lord saw fit to use it. Just such a sweet thing um, to really look all the way back on these English teachers who had encouraged me. I had a dance teacher that really encouraged me. She's like, I see you as like the mouthpiece of the Lord. I just think he's going to use you. I was like, okay, what does that even mean? Um, And just to look back and say, wow, God really was using those skills for a purpose. And yet he kept me blind to it until the moment he did it. Um, mm, because wow. yeah. in, in my mind, it was like, I just need to serve this church. I just yeah. need to serve these women and I think I can help them. Um, and so that is really the way everyday theology happened. And then, yeah, it's been translated into Portuguese and uh, Norwegian and Korean and uh, there's a teen version and it's just been really, really sweet. Praise the Lord. I think, Love that. Yeah, and I think what is so special about that is that you were really just about doing some work for 
just writing something for your local church. Like it wasn't for the purpose of, I want to be a household name or I want people to clamor after me because of what I know. I asked if they could put somebody else's name. I was like, I know like P, how do we feel about P Shirer? No, your name. That does sell some books. I mean, I was like, I want people to read this. So I don't care if my name was on it. Yeah. Um, so funny. <laughs> or I was like, but also I'm a female writing on theology. Right. Like, should we say M. Wiley so that maybe men won't feel so weird about reading it? Yeah. Um, and it's been really sweet to have pastors email me and say, we're using this with my church. Thank you. That's great. Um, so great. Really, really encouraging to hear like, oh, they they actually are like recognizing we can use this, yeah. um, even though you're a female, which has been sweet. That's awesome. That's great. Well, I have it on my shelf behind me right now. So oh, well, <laughs> it's, a, it's definitely a wonderful place. resource. Yes. Well, as we close, what is one yeah. piece of advice that you would leave with women who want to honor God through their vocational calling? Yeah, I think the theme of our conversation today has ju- has been just take the next step, that God is not going to give you a 10-year plan. Uh, often that mm-hmm. is, of course, an interview question, right? They're like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And you're like, right. I just I just want to take the next step with the Lord. <laughs> right. Who knows what right. that's going to look like? And that God will use everything He is doing in your life today for His glory. Mm-hmm. Um, he Great. has used my dad passed away when I was 12 and he has used that to minister to people he used it at camp. There mm. were kids who came to camp, just lost parents that I got wow. to talk with. Wow. God used English degrees that I thought I was getting because I liked it and it was fun. Um, <laughs> God uses theology degrees, uh, that I'm going to continue to pursue for my whole lifetime, uh, because I think they're fun. And he will do that in the life of every listener. Uh, It may not be super clear. You may not yet be able to connect the dots, but he is moving and working and he's good to be faithful in that. That's right. That's so good. And Mary, before we go, going back to Everyday Theology, is there a video series that goes with this? There is. They are optional. Uh, I thought it was really important for people to be able to lead this in coffee mm. shops, to be able to take it away from where they would have access to video. There's a there's a video series. There's also a podcast available with some key teachers uh, working through some of those systematic okay. ideas. Yeah. All right. We'll make sure we link to that in the show notes. Yes. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being yeah. our editor. Um yes. So this has been a fun conversation and I feel like the start to a great podcast season. So thank you for being our first guest. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so that you don't miss an episode and check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. And if this show has been helpful to you as you seek to live out your God-given calling for His glory, we invite you to support Women in Work with a one-time gift or become a monthly partner at womenwork.net slash donate. Women in Work is a registered 501c3 nonprofit, so all your gifts are tax deductible. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.